Spoken word today is from Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 32. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor that eyes would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were granted, grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. 
And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you they may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Amen, amen, amen. I think when people think about Romans, the whole letter as a whole, you know, the whole book, uh, what happens is that we start off in Romans over here, Romans chapter one, and we go all the way to Romans chapter eight, and then we get to chapter nine, and what we do is we just do a diversion, and we run around the corner, we come over to Romans chapter 12, and we're like, yeah, I love Romans chapter 12, but I'm not really a fan of chapters nine, 10, and 11. And most people don't want to preach on it, most people don't want to talk about it, because when you listen to it, you're kind of thinking to yourself, what is Paul talking about? I mean, grafting, and, and then this, and that, and the left, and the right, and I, I, I have no idea, and then this, whole, is he predestined? We get, was it rebellious, was it accepted? And, and there's this whole you on and off. Is it on and off, it's on and off. Is it my batteries, let me check. Uh, could just be my presence. Uh, no, I got like uh, two and a half hours of joy out of three. So I think that's pretty good. <laughs> um, and so there's this, there's this tension that we have inside the book where we're kind of like, do we get it? And so what you have to remember when you're reading Romans 9 to 11 is that Paul has been reading this book, uh, the First Testament, what we refer to as the Old Testament of the First Testament. All of his stories shaped this. So he alludes and he has echoes all the time inside that. This is the kind of the technic stuff inside the story. And if you understood some of the stuff with Elijah and Abraham and, and the inheritance, inheritance side there, these chapters start to come to life a little bit more. So we are dealing with family privilege. And, uh, and you may have remembered this, that this is the series that we're dealing with these chapters. And so chapter nine, Romans chapter nine, was family privilege. And Pastor Jessica preached on this and it was all about rejection. 
How do you deal with the rejection that it seems this way, yet you're called, but you have rejected me? And then Romans chapter 10, which we heard last week, Pastor Jennifer Ogden was preaching this, was on responsibility. And, uh, and, and then it was like trying to say, look, you rejected it, you heard the message, but actually you haven't taken the responsibility I've given to you. So then we come to today, Romans chapter 11, and really the message, the overall message is redemption. He goes through this entire process of rejection, responsibility, and redemption side here. And if you haven't heard the messages, I would encourage you to go online and listen to them or watch them or pull up our app and just download them and listen to them as well uh, from both Pastor Jessica and Pastor Jennifer um, who spoke on these chapters. But as you read through Romans chapter 11, which I've done multiple times this week and, and hopefully you've done as well and, and in preparation for this, there were three things that kind of really resonated deeply with me. And I felt that these three things kind of like categorized the story of chapter 11. And these are the three things. One is that the message inside Romans chapter 11 is that we are indeed redeemed in Jesus. We are redeemed in Jesus. This is what Paul wants to say. Family privilege, you are redeemed in Jesus. So that question that Pastor Jessica mentioned in the kid's life, has God rejected you? And we said, yeah, Mark did. <laughs> And we all said, has God rejected you? You said, no way, right? And so that's exactly what happens because Jesus says through Paul, uh, no, redeemed in Jesus. And then he goes through this great metaphor and he pulls it out and says, you're rooted in Jesus, in fact. He says, I want you to understand your foundation, everything, you're grafted, if you've been broken off or whether you've grown, you're rooted in Jesus. And this is really important. And the third one that he kind of gets to the end is he says, uh, I want to reimagine, I want you to actually understand you are reimagined in Jesus. And this is where he really opens this up, chapters 12 through to 16, and everybody gets excited because we bypass that, we get over to chapter 12, which we start next week, followers of Jesus, and everybody gets excited about that because what does it really mean to be truly reimagined in Jesus? And Paul, of course, just opens it up a little bit inside chapter 11 here. So I'm going to address today the first part here, all three parts of this, but I'm going to address in particular, redeemed in Jesus. John, uh, John was a, a very young, very young American officer uh, in the Vietnam War. Uh, he led his own platoon uh, and he had several assignments and he had done very well in his assignments. He, he took a lot of uh, pride and care of his platoon. He really he wanted them to come back safely all the time. The responsibility for them laid in his hands, he felt. It was his, their lives. One particular day, he was deep within the enemy territory in the middle of this war, and they came across this uh, clearing. It wasn't a man-made clearing, uh, so it was just a natural clearing that actually took place in the jungle. His scouts had gone ahead, obviously, and said everything's fine, and so they entered into the clearing, and as they did, as they advanced all the men through there, no sooner were they in the middle of this clearing, and suddenly the enemy appeared everywhere and opened fire on them. John and his men scattered everywhere, and John realized that he actually had to call a retreat as quick, I mean, instinctively he knew he had to call a retreat, and so he pulled all of his platoon back as quick as he could. Anybody was injured, everybody came back. The problem was, there was one soldier, Sam, Sam had been shot and Sam was stuck right in the middle of this clearing. Wounded there, laying down there in the middle, Sam could barely move because of the pain. And he cried out for help. He kept on crying out for help, saying, please somebody come and take me from here. And John could hear this, John could see him, and John knew Sam 
really, really well, as he knew all of his men really well. Well, the daylight hours soon disappeared, and uh, the humidity of the jungle and the darkness descended down, and it covered the entire area. And as Sam's voice starts to get weaker and weaker and weaker, John's pressure starts to build up inside him because he's hearing him begging for someone to help him. He's hearing this man saying, begging, Sam's begging, someone tell my mom and my dad that I love them. Begging his friends, don't let me die out here. John devises a plan and he says to his platoon, all right, this is what we're going to do. And he asks them to move over to the left side and they move over to the flank to the left side and they attack on the left side in the middle of this darkness and draw all the enemy fire over there, which then John himself runs out into this clearing, right? Picks up Sam and runs all the way back. He just carries this guy, throws him on his shoulder, and runs all the way back to safety. And he makes it to the safe place before the enemy actually realizes that they have been duped, right? Because they were attacked inside here. But a sniper sends one bullet, and that one bullet kills, and he dies instantly. And Sam lays on the ground and looks over and sees that John is dead. A few years later, after the Vietnam War, um, somehow Sam was able to work out how to get hold of John's parents. So he writes a letter to them because they knew that uh, the son had died some kind of valiant way, but they didn't know the details of the story. And he outlines inside the story what had happened inside here in great detail, and he said, look, I even have some things that belong to John and I would like to visit because I'm coming through the city and I'd like to visit you and I'd like to bring this memorabilia, these, these items that belong to John who gave his life for me. So they were, you can imagine the kind of energy and excitement uh, and the kind of and the emotions that they're going through as well as they're gonna see this man, Sam, for the very first time. They prepared their home, they prepared a really great meal, they pulled out all the photo albums that were gonna show Sam, and 6 p.m. came along, and Sam hadn't turned up yet, and then seven, and then eight, and then before you know it, it was 11 p.m., and they were fast asleep, and Sam hadn't turned up, and the doorbell rang. And they get up, and they go downstairs, and they open the door, and at the door is this man who's disheveled, uh, just rough as could be, drunk out of his head, and it's Sam. And Sam comes in, and he sits down, and uh, they kind of like talk to him, and, and John's parents just look at him, and they suddenly say to themselves, this is our family privilege right now that we're struggling with. He is our family, because we lost our son, and this is Sam right now, and, I, and they have to like, handle this right now at this moment. And Sam somehow with horrible, inappropriate jokes and he shares comments about his life and he never once mentions John. He never once even brings up the items that he actually said he was gonna bring. But they love Sam. They even let him as he walked out the door and he never said thank you to the parents and left. They just loved Sam. This is what happens in Romans chapter nine and chapter 10. All of these emotions, all of the... See, Paul is saying, I poured out my soul to Israel. Jesus says this through Paul. And I said, Jesus died for you. Jesus gave you life for you. He called you for a mission. You have this family privilege. 
and you are redeemed in Jesus. And what are you doing? Just squandering it away. Busy doing blah, blah, blah. Not even realizing and recognizing the gift that God has given you. Not even realizing the amount of time that God has actually spent investing in you or the time that God wants to just hear your story or just the glory of God saying, how about you just say thank you for the gift of salvation inside here because we are redeemed in Jesus. So Paul describes this in Romans chapter 11, verse five, when he talks about, in fact, the remnant, the people who are called, they are here by the grace of God. It is this beautiful thing. And this is, in fact, an echo. You've got to remember this, that Jesus himself uh, used many stories to illustrate some ideas. One of the famous stories that he talked about is found in Luke chapter 15. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 15? There's three stories inside there, but one in particular. An older brother stays home, a younger brother wanders off, and, and I know you love technic stuff, because I love technic stuff. And so there's an echo inside here. And by an echo, that means that there is an illusion. There's, there's kind of like a sound inside the story of the older brother and the younger brother that actually is inside here. And this is what it is. There is Esau with Jacob. There's an echo inside the story. There's 10 brothers with Joseph. There's the older brothers with the younger one. Now it's according to Paul, he's saying, look, the Gentiles, those Gentiles, well, they're the younger brother. And Israel, you're the older brother. This is what he's saying in Romans chapter 11. We are the older brother. And Sam, Sam is that younger brother that we're watching as he comes in the home and we're disgusted that he doesn't have the privilege and understand the responsibility that he has in his home. Is there anyone who's beyond the reach for Jesus? Is there? We would say no. Is there anyone who's beyond the reach for us? Well, it should be no as well. Family privilege is the question we have. Last week, uh, I sat across the table, and I knew it was one of those family privilege moments, all right? So we have family privilege moments every single day. I hope you realize this, just in the community that exists here. And, and I, I knew it was a family privilege moment because this person was allowing me to be part of their life. Uh, he just got out of prison for about a month now. He's been out of prison and for armed robbery. And as I sat down and talked to him, I could see that he, you know, he had had this hardened shell uh, about him. And the, he started to tell me a little bit about what he's planning to do, but they were not great dreams. The dreams that he had, because he was at university before, and then all this thing happened, and he ended up going to prison and doing his term and time, and now he's just coming out. He doesn't, not even thinking of uni anymore, not thinking of studying. I mean, he's trying to wrestle through all of that kind of stuff. He's lost a little bit of his identity, but family privilege says we can gather around him. We can actually kind of rebuild him. We can invest in him and reshape his life so that he actually understands that he is valuable, important, and he can do things. And Paul reminds us this in Romans chapter 11, that the root of this entire story is the entire First Testament. And that's why I kind of feel like there's so much inside here that we miss sometimes because the whole thing is Paul's just saying, I read the First Testament. I love the First Testament. I see the gospel in the First Testament all through it. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 5, 39. You search the scriptures, the Old Testament, the First Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Because family privilege means that we are rooted in Jesus. And this is point number two that I want you to remember about Romans chapter 11. We are indeed redeemed by Jesus, but we were also rooted in Jesus. Now, just a quick side note here. 
I'm, I'm really absolutely horrible when it comes to green things, uh, even eating them. Um, but just uh, green plants, I mean, any green plant that I get will die. Um, I will either kill it myself or just let it die naturally. Uh, and, and because I just, it's not good. It's, I think it's the reason why we've never really had any pets, because it's just too much work to look after them. I mean, they exist and they move and they want love. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's too much. I mean, if our boys, if I was in charge of our boys entirely, they would have just grown up with a bowl and a spoon, um, which they would have eaten everything out of. <laughs> Very practical. Uh, and, and, but, you know, thankfully, you know, Becky has infused in them and they become great men. It would be more of a jungle book experience for my boys. They would have, of course, had clothing eventually, but, uh, but you know, plants, clearly, clearly perish under my care. I do remember the, the few times where Becky's gone away and I've been left in charge of you know, the home and the plants. And I, I, she comes back and it really requires you know, our marriage to be repaired. Um, <laughs> because there's, she's like, they died. I mean, I was like, I know, nature. <laughs> the sun is evil. It just, and she's like, you couldn't even water it. I said, I know. Why couldn't you water it? Now, now Glenda the Zafra, she actually has a really great solution for this. She has a machine in a house that actually kind of like walks outside and fills the plant. No, it's, it's a brilliant device, right? It, it kind of waters the plant. That's a great idea. Great idea. Or just don't have the plant. I mean, just, I mean, so, so I had to look up. I had to look up this metaphor to understand the depth of it because, of course, Paul would not just say there's an olive tree and you get grafted inside there. I mean, he's got to have something deep and rich inside here. And he does, obviously. I mean, he wants to say, look, there is the, the, the olive tree, and the olive tree has all these branches, which is Israel. Some of those branches have broken off because they rejected the Messiah, Jesus. And then there is this wild olive, the Gentiles, and they get grafted inside here. And they are, because they accept Jesus, they get grafted inside there, which for Paul meant is that the kingdom of God back then was not about Christian or Jew, it was just about the followers of Jesus Christ. So I, I discovered some stuff about this grafting process, and I read uh, this commentary by John Stott, and he quotes a Scottish uh, scholar called William Ramsey, and this is a really interesting quote. Uh, it says this, in exceptional circumstances, it is customary to reinvigorate an olive tree which is ceasing to bear fruit by grafting it with a shoot of the wild olive. All right? So sometimes you want to reinvigorate that tree. And what you do is you take a wild olive, like uh, the Gentile, and you regraft it inside there so that the sap of the tree enables the wild shoot and the tree now again to begin bearing fruit. Because the tree has all the potential, the branches have all the potential, but they kind of become quiet. The Gentiles, the wild olive branch, needs the tree to grow. But the grafting will reignite all the branches already inside there. All right? Now, kind of put this together with the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes home, there was a party. Right? There's the home shifts, the energy has changed. When the Gentiles join the family, the community, they regraft and reignite the mission. It's when many people come together, they are rooted in Jesus. 
When we see new people at our church here all the time, it reignites our mission. That's why we love to celebrate when somebody new comes to church and they're exploring faith and they're saying, I wanna know something new about God. It's exciting to actually have a conversation with them. It's exciting for us because it reignites us. That's why we exist. We exist to not just be here, we exist to share the gospel and for others to discover how good it is to live inside this. And I, and I love this, that at this church here, we have partners and we have members in this church. Everyone is a partner in this church. All of you are partners online, here in this congregation right now, all of you are partners. If you're sitting here right now, if you're watching and listening right now, if you simply send your tithe and offerings to your partner, and I have some people who have written to me this week saying, look, I don't attend your church, but I'm gonna send my tithe and offerings uh, through your church and I wanna support Boulder Church, and they don't come to this church, but they just wanna support this church, right? So there are people who are connected and there are partners with us. In fact, uh, if you go to our website, you look at all of our elders and our vision board leaders and our pastors, and the phrase that we use to describe our connection with the church is we say this, we choose to partner with Boulder Church, right? Because that's what we believe. We are all partners. Some of you, however, wanna be more involved than that. You wanna shape the culture in a really different way. You don't wanna just be a partner, be here, volunteer in a few places. You actually want to be a leader inside the church. You wanna be rooted in Jesus all the time. You wanna become a member. And, and of course, once you're baptized, because being baptized, you can be baptized as a partner, but you can be baptized as a, as a member, then you can get voted into the church. And when you're voted in church because you've studied about what our tribe of Adventism is, you can say, hey, I actually want to have a voice to shape this entire culture, this entire church inside here. And this is what Romans chapter 12, 16, next week, that we start expanding on. What does that really look like when we all belong when we're followers of Jesus, what does that look like? And Paul kind of gets really excited about being this living body, right? And that's where he decides to open that out. So for now, family privilege means that we're redeemed in Jesus, that we're rooted in Jesus, and it calls us to a new life, reimagined now in Jesus. And this is the final third point. And this, my friends, is where Paul unleashes in Romans 11:25 that there's a mystery. He says, and I, I don't know if you remember this, a few years ago I talked about the idea of the mystery that Paula talked about. When he says there's a mystery, it's not that like um, you'll never discover it. It's saying there's a mystery that's powerful that's being revealed to you, and the mystery is Jesus Christ, all right? So he says there is this mystery inside here, and this mystery in, in Romans chapter 11, 32, that he expands on this, he says, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. That's a kind of a difficult text when we read that the very first time. We're thinking, what does that mean? It sounds kind of weird at first. For, and other translations would even say this, for God has shut up all people in disobedience. Does God do that? Does he shut up all people in disobedience so that he may have mercy upon all? Well, it does sound like that. And you read in chapter nine, that's why people don't like this. They read in chapter nine, for God has hardened their hearts, right? Galatians 3 talks about this, which means that God allows us to rebel. God allows you to choose. And this is where your heart sometimes becomes a little bit hardened. It's not that God is hardening you, but God says, I give you the space. So my mercy, my mercy is for all. My mercy extends for all, that you may all come to know that I am God, that you may all come to know that there is a better way to do this, because that's what he wants to do. He wants to show you his mercy so that we have space to reimagine a new way. 
And this is family privilege. We could accept the gift of redemption, we could stay daily rooted in Jesus, but as God pours out his love on us, and we kind of struggle through this, he says, look, I want you to know that there is mercy for all. And this is actually where my heart really beats. It really does. I love this part. I love this section of Romans because this is where Paul is starting to unleash now the results of everything that we have, why we belong to the family. So let's reimagine in Jesus. Let's reimagine in Jesus our school, Vista Ridge Academy, which not only does phenomenally well academically, but let's reimagine that if it was financially supported, I mean, at a level where we said, you know what, that $200,000 loan that's outstanding that they make payments on, let's just clear it. Let's get rid of it so it doesn't hang over the school, so they can actually redevelop the way they need to do. Because the school is doing so well, let's reimagine what it is to be committed in Jesus Christ. Let's just take it on board and do what we need to do. Reimagine in Jesus what this church could actually be if this church was open seven days a week. I mean, not open seven days a week because we're here, pastors are here, in and out, but I mean open where ministry was taking place locally here where something was actually taking place, where people connected and had a space to commune and to hear about the word of God. Imagine if uh, we reimagined Jesus where every location where two or four families live, we gather together as a life group or a community collective and we own that space and we start to look after each other. Reimagine in Jesus our global church, so focused on mission that we never have to talk about non-compliance again. They're just so excited about it, they're so focused on it, they know what to do, so focused on mission, that the front line of the global church is about the injustice in the world and the brokenness in the world, and we became a voice in the entire planet, so focused on mission that the greatest minds in the world were challenged how to follow Jesus Christ. It's all too easy to look at the sands of this world and say it's not worth investing in them, right? Because they've misunderstood the benefit of belonging to the family. The family privilege for them is too far. But here's the truth. We don't get to create the family. He does, Jesus does. We don't get to name the family, he does. We don't get to choose who belongs to the family, he does. So is there anyone who is beyond the reach for Jesus? No. Is there anyone who's beyond the reach for us? No, and family privilege, yes, absolutely, because we are called by Jesus. So, you're wondering now, am I crystal clear on this? Do you understand what I'm really saying? And I'm wondering whether you really understand what I'm saying and the implications of all this. Because family privilege has so much responsibility with it, doesn't it? Here's the truth, I actually need you I really do. And the problem is that uh, you need me. We need each other. And we come to church week after week and we don't remember that we belong to a family. And because we belong to this family, we have privileges with this family. And God says, this family gives you the greatest gift you could ever imagine. It proclaims the good news that you're redeemed in Jesus. It reminds you that you're rooted in Jesus by teaching you how to reset yourself every single day. And then he tells you, let's use your brain, let's use your heart and reimagine how to be creative in Jesus. If you're gonna do that though, man, you guys have to step it up. 
we have to step it up together. We have to take our family seriously. I, um, I haven't texted my son a lot, my oldest son a lot, Josh, uh, since he went to university. Um, and uh, Becky has, I think, every day, 64 times. Uh, no, she's in, he's constantly talking to her, and uh, they have a phenomenal relationship. Quite honestly, I'm jealous. I am. I'm jealous that she has such a great relationship with him. And I think the reason is, is because I realize that she has invested tremendous time into Joshua, right? I mean, serious time into his life. Hence, he's like, hey, I've got things to process, ideas to communicate, but I'm going to, I'm going to talk to mom about this because that's what's actually taking place. I, uh, I wonder sometimes if when it comes to our family, our church, whether, whether we're really invested in it. And then when it goes away, when things don't work out, we wonder why we don't have that connection. So it's never too late to reinvest, right? So I'm taking off Thursday this week and uh, I said to Josh, just he and I, concentrated time, maximize it all. I'm gonna reinvest as much time as I can into his life. I want to have a deeper connection with him, right? And you can have that in your church if you accept that it is your church, that it is your school, that it is your community. That's our family privilege. Tall order, I know, uh, but God calls us to that.